0: Amen. Well, today we do start a brand new sermon series called Make Money Work, where we are going to look these next five weeks at personal finances, money, and discuss it as a church. And as we really kind of begin this new year and dive into this new series, I want to say with all sincerity that I really, really, really do believe that for many of you, that what God could do in and through this message series can propel you in a direction that will ultimately change your life even the life of your kids, and possibly even the life of your grandkids. That I believe that this message series has the potential to have that kind of power of change in your life. And as I say that, at the same time, I also believe that this series over the next five weeks will be a series where you could easily dismiss and just simply check out. Where you could look at this series and go, that's not for me, I'm not interested, like, like I don't wanna be a part of that. And what I wanna beg you to do as we begin this series is to avoid that temptation. And to allow your heart and your mind to be open to what God wants to do in and through you and to believe that God has something better for you when it comes to this area of your life. Now the reason that we're beginning this brand new year by talking about money is because the plain fact of this, the truth of all of our lives is this, is that money affects so much of our lives, doesn't it? that there's not a day that passes that you don't wake up thinking about how to earn, spend, save, or worry about the money that you have in your life. In fact, a Pew study done at kind of the fall of 2020 uh, did a a huge study, it was around the election time, right, and in the midst of uh, the craziness of 2020, right, we're talking social unrest defunding the police covid's running rampant that as those elections approach the number one issue 72% of people said was the economy that it is all about money that money affects so much of our lives and unfortunately for so many of us when it comes to money and talking about money and making money work that when it comes to us we don't have a very good foundation of how money works in our lives that it wasn't taught to us in our homes as kids it wasn't taught to us in schools that it was a tab- subject for so many years in church which is kind of really odd because if you've ever sat down and read the Bible the Bible talks a lot about making money work in fact Jesus talks a lot about making money work that if you've been in church you've probably heard a preacher like me say it time before that when it comes to money that Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined That when we look at the way that Jesus taught, oftentimes he taught in these things called parables, which were just like stories that Jesus would tell to tell like a bigger point of what was going on in the world or in the kingdom of God. That however you decide to count, there's 37, 38, 39 of those parables, and 16 of them, almost half of them, have to do with money and possessions. That Jesus talked about money a lot, and yet, when it comes to the church, rarely had it been talked about in years past. And so, consequently, what many of us, or the way that many of us learned about money and making money work was really through the school of hard knocks, wasn't it? It was by making decisions and learning the hard way. And for many of us, when it comes to talking about money, the reality is, is that it's kind of a bit of an embarrassing subject, isn't it? That it's hard for us to be vulnerable when it comes to talking about money, and the reason is, is because so many of us have made mistakes. That we've come to money and we haven't thought it out well. And so we've, we've made these mistakes, we've, we've made these, these decisions, and now we feel overwhelmed. For many people, when we talk about money, they just want to put their head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist. That many people feel hopeless and helpless when it comes to this issue. And if that's you, our prayer is over these next five weeks that this series would help you. But the second reason that we want to talk about money as we begin this new year is because if you're watching online, if you're present here today, if you're listening to a podcast uh, of this sermon, that when it comes to money, there's an assumption that I'm making about you, and that is that you've come and that you're listening to this in part because you're at least a little bit interested in what God has to say about the areas of your life, including your finances. And the truth of the matter is, is that when it comes to our money, that we cannot be out of sync financially and think that we are in sync with God relationally. That you cannot be a serious follower of Jesus and say, my money life is over here and my Jesus life is over here. It doesn't work like that. If you're out of sync financially, you are also out of sync relationally with God. And as I said, that that God speaks so much, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when it comes to the issues of money, that, that the decisions that we make concerning money have a lot to speak to in our following of God. That if we are to follow God, the God of the Bible, if we're to follow Jesus as our Savior, it means that we need to bring our personal finances and get them in sync with the scriptural teaching and the teachings of our Savior. So in light of those reasons, we're going to talk about money for the next couple of weeks. And what I want to do is just kind of give you the basics of where we're going over the next five weeks so that you have a bit of a roadmap of where we're going. So when it comes to uh, these five weeks, it's going to look like this. Today, we're going to talk about the decisions that we make when it comes to our money. Next week, when we gather together, we're going to talk about how we find contentment. Then week three, we're going to talk about debt and the stress that comes with that, and then how we deal with it. And week four, we're going to talk about the significance of giving it all away. And then, or not all of it away, but we're giving some of it away, right? And then, finally, the uh, fifth fifth part of the sermon will be uh, budgeting magic. And so that's the roadmap that we're going to go on today. So as we start today and as we dive into this theme of the decisions that we make when it comes to money, if you don't hear anything else the rest of this sermon, if you doze off, if you have to leave to the bathroom, whatever it is, this is the one thing that I want you to walk away remembering. That every financial decision that you make, every decision that you've made in your past, every decision that you make in your future when it comes to finances reveals something about your hearts. That every financial decision that you make reveals something about your heart. There's a story in Jesus's life that's told that's always been a bit unsettling to me. We find it in two Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you actually to turn to Mark chapter 10. That's the account that we're gonna look at today. And it's a famous, well-told story that even if you haven't been a part of church, you're probably at least a little bit familiar with this story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. And the way that the rich young ruler story kind of plays out is that one day Jesus is in this town and he's teaching on all kinds of different subjects. He's teaching about marriage and divorce, he's teaching to people, he sits down, and as he sits down, all of this, like this mob of kids, comes like running at him, and he starts to like talk and play with the kids. And the disciples are like grumpy old men, and they come over and they're like, "Kids, get off our lawn!" Right? Like Jesus is too important; you can't talk to him. And uh, and so they shoo him all away. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, "Man, if you don't understand that the kingdom of God is for kids, then you're missing it." And it's this real tender moment in Jesus' life where he gathers all of the kids around them, around him, and he starts to bless them and to bless their parents. And as the kids begin to like wander away and play, Jesus and the disciples after this teaching start packing up their gear and they put on their backpacks and they're heading out of town. And as they head out of town, this young guy comes running up to Jesus and he goes, hey, Jesus, 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 like wait, before you leave town, before I never see you again, I just have one question to ask you. Do you have time for a question? And Jesus says, yeah. And so he asked this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like this is no small question, right? Like this is, this is a big question. This is a question that every single one of us has asked at least at some point in our life. What does the afterlife look like? What's next and how do we get it? What does it look like to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops on this road on the way out of town and he looks at this guy in verse 18, this young man, and he says, why do you call me good? <laughs> kind of an interesting way to answer the question. No one is good except for God alone. And then he starts to answer the guy's question. And he says, you, you know all of the commandments, right? Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. And the boy, the man, looks at him, verse 20, and says, teacher, he drops the good, right? Teacher, all these things I've held since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him with with all this love in his eyes, says, yeah, but you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Come and follow me. Now, there's something uneasy about this story for every single one of us, isn't there? There's just something uneasy. And what's, what's disturbing for me about this story is that I'm an American, and I'm as middle class as they come. Like, I am as middle-class America as you can get, which means that I live at a level of affluence and abundance that's not known by most people in this world. In fact, if you open up the pages of history, being a middle-class American means that I know a level of abundance and a level of, of affluence that most people, we're talking billions upon billions of people, have not known in their lifetime living on this earth. That both globally and historically speaking, I am the rich young man that Jesus spoke to on his way out of town. And the most disturbing thing about this young man is that he seems so familiar with his affluence-shaped religion and cultural is- uh, assumptions that he did not even realize how out of sync with God he actually was. That we read this story and as Jesus is heading out of town and this rich young man runs up to him everything appears that this rich young man is serious about his religion he's sincere in his faith that he comes running up to Jesus and he falls to his knees and he says Jesus like I just have one question can you just wait real quick I just have this one question for you and Jesus goes yeah what is it he says how do I how do I get into eternal life like how how do I please God that's what he's really asking How do I have eternal life? And as Jesus begins to answer the question and begins to lay out what we know as the Ten Commandments, the guy actually believes, he really believes, sincerely, earnestly believes that he's kept all of the commandments since he was a little boy, since he was just a kid. And so we look at this young guy. He's serious about his religion. He's sincere. He's pious. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you lack the kind of faith that saves. Which, come on. That should totally stop every single one of us in our tracks, right? I mean, here's a guy who's spiritually serious, sincere, pious, probably more than most around him. And Jesus goes, yeah, man, you still lack something in your life. You still don't have it yet. And every one of us goes, Jesus, uh, what is it that you're actually looking for? Because I thought that you were looking for people who were sincere and serious and earnest and pious. Like, like I thought that's what this was all about. Like, what are you, what are you looking for? Isn't that, isn't, that what you're, isn't that what you're getting at? And Jesus goes, no, not, not exactly. Not exactly. And Jesus, as he begins to, to answer this, for Jesus, faith looks like trusting And when it comes to what we really believe, trusting looks like treasuring. That for Jesus, faith looks like trusting. And when it comes to what we really believe, trusting looks a lot like treasuring. In fact, in another teaching that Jesus gives, he says when it comes to your treasure and what he was talking about was your money, your stuff, your things, that where your treasure is, your heart follows your heart follows, that where your treasure is, your heart follows, which means that if you really want to know how spiritual Matt Manning is, if you really want to know what my heart is like, do not judge my spirituality based on my ability to preach on a Sunday morning, that this is just a gift that God has blessed me with and an opportunity that you give me by showing up and tuning in. That's all this is. Do not judge my spirituality based on what I do on Sunday morning. If you really want to look at my heart, if you really want a snapshot of what I treasure, you need to look at my Discover statements. If you really want to know where my heart is, you need to look at my budget on Google Drive. And what Jesus says over and over again throughout the entirety of the Gospels is if you want to know where Matt's heart is, come on over here. Let's open up this computer. Let's look at his budget, and I can show you exactly where his heart is because his heart is where his stuff is. It's where his money goes. And Jesus says, that's true of every single one of us. And so he looks at this rich young guy, and he says, look, man, I don't want to compete with your stuff. I don't want to compete with your money. What I'm after is your heart. What I'm after with your heart. And so would you, young man, would you be willing to surrender your stuff to me? Because once you surrender all of your stuff to me, then I'll know that I also have your hearts. Would you be willing to surrender your money and your savings and your investments and all that you treasure, and once you surrender that to me, then I will have your heart? I don't want your money. I don't want your stuff. I'm God. I got it all anyways, right? Like, like I want your heart. And the truth of the matter is, is that your heart follows your treasure. I mean, this is a powerful, powerful statement that Jesus makes. See, the most loving thing that Jesus could do in this moment— when this young guy comes up and runs and asks this question, the most powerful thing that Jesus could do is show this guy who his God really was. To show this young guy who it was that he really trusted, the God that he really treasured. And so Jesus looks at him and says, man, you lack one thing. What I want you to do is I want you to take all of your possessions. I want you to sell them. I want you to give all that money to the poor and then come and follow me. And at that moment, This young guy is confronted with who the God of his life really is. And his response is so heartbreaking. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying that Jesus had just made, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. (laughs) Like this is so heartbreaking. That what this guy wanted a relationship with Jesus, what this guy's soul longed for, to inherit eternal life. This great invitation that Jesus makes to him, he walks away from why? For he had great possessions, he had great treasure, he had great stuff. And in the single moment, we see who this guy's God really is. And this leads to Jesus making this earth-shattering comment in, in verse 23, that as this guy walks away with his heads hanging in sorrow, Jesus looks around at his disciples and he says to them, this, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And we're told that the disciples are amazed at Jesus as Jesus is speaking these words. And, and Jesus says to them again, children, how difficult is it for is it to enter into the kingdom of God? And then he uses this example, and he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, you cannot serve both God and your stuff. And the conflict that you and I deal with, the struggle that's an everyday part of our lives is between God and our stuff. That you can treasure one or the other, and Jesus would say to you, and he would say to me, and he would say to Americans, probably more than most, probably more than most, that the struggle and the tension that you will face is who are you going to submit to? Who are you going to surrender to? Who are you going to allow to be your ruler. Are you going to serve your stuff? Are you going to serve the accumulation of wealth? Are you going to serve protecting your stuff and insuring your stuff? Are you going to to serve making sure your kids have more and your grandkids have more? Are you going to serve your stuff and hope that I come alongside you like the rich young ruler? Or are you going to surrender it all to me? Because you can't have it both ways, Jesus says. That every financial decision that you make... Every financial decision that you make reveals something about your heart, and that's the tension of our lives that will never, ever, ever go away. See, when it's all on the line, when it was all on the line for this young guy, he trusted his wealth, his possession, his riches more than Jesus. And what was revealed in this moment is that the true God of this young guy's life was his riches. And it kept him from inheriting eternal life with God. And the scary thing about the story is, is that he doesn't actually even realize it until God points it out, until Jesus points it out to him in the story. And that little nugget of truth lands like a bomb. At least it did for the disciples, because the disciples are watching all of this take place, and they say this in in Mark chapter ten, verse twenty six. They're astonished, and they look at Jesus, and they say, "Then who can be saved?" Like if sincere, serious, pious dude can't get saved, who gets in, Jesus? Like who can be saved? And Jesus looks at him and he answers him in verse 27 like this. He says, with man, it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. In other words, your stuff doesn't save you. Your sincerity doesn't save you. Your seriousness about your religion doesn't save you. Your piety doesn't save you. That only God can save you. And that God has invited you and he has invited every single one of us into this relationship where he goes, I want you to take all the love that you have for your possessions, your wealth, and your stuff, and I want you to make it secondary to your love and your devotion of me. That every single day you and I have a choice to make. That every single day we get a choice, we get a decision And we can look at the stuff that we have and we can say we're going to serve our stuff or we're going to serve our God. We can serve stuff or we can serve Jesus. That every single day we have that decision to make. Am I going to surrender it to you or am I not? That every single day I can decide that I surrender all to you because I don't want to spend the days of my life chasing after possessions hoping that you'll that you'll help me, Jesus. Instead, I want to spend every day of my life with you. See, when it comes to Jesus, you can trust him with your money. You can trust Jesus with your money because at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't want your money. In fact, one of the great truths of Scripture as we open up and we read through the Scriptures is that God owns it all, anyways. In fact, David, King David, he writes this in First Chronicles chapter 29, pretty famous verse, but he says this, both riches and honor come from you. That any riches that you have, any honor that's been bestowed as you on you as a person, as a man or a woman, all of that came from God. And God, you rule over all of it, David says. See, Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants to make sure your money doesn't get you. And this is where it becomes so practical for us. That if you're in a marriage here today and you're fighting about money, or you're engaged and you're already fighting about money, the reality is is that you, or probably both of you, have already made money your master. That you are serving your stuff. And when you serve your stuff, even though your stuff is your master, That is not a master that brings peace into your life. It's not a master that brings contentment into your life. That there is this constant tension in your life over money when you are serving money. But when a man and a woman come together and they decide, you know what? We're going to surrender every element of our lives, even this area of finances, to Jesus. We're going, to see even, we're going to share the same value system, the same perspective on life, that we're going to understand the same way what's important in this world and what's not, even though we have different personalities and a different approach, that we're not going to spend our lives fighting over little pieces of paper with dead presidents' faces on it. I mean, what a ridiculous way to ruin your life. And yet for so many of us, we do it, don't we? that we get tripped up time and time again over the same thing that tripped up this young man, and we fail to realize that every decision that we make, every financial decision that we make, shows something about our hearts. And so I don't wanna leave us today by just presenting this all to you and you walking away going, good sermon, you know, see you next week. But, but I actually wanna make this immensely practical. So I'm gonna give you some homework today, all right? And your homework, your assignment is this, is that I want you for the next week to babysit your money. That I want you to watch where it goes. I want you to take notes. I want you to make sure that you understand where your money goes, that you need to see that the financial decisions you are making because they are telling you something important about your hearts. So we're going to watch our money for a week. And it can be as simple as getting just a notebook, and every time you make an expense, you just write down the date, how much you spent, and what you spent it on. And my wife and I, we've been doing this for close to 20 years now. Like I said, on Google Docs, we have a budget, and I have a transition page, and we record every single expense that we have ever made, because those decisions are telling us something about our hearts. See, it's not about how much you make. You could have $10 or $10 million. This is about where it's going. This is about knowing your hearts. Because at the end of the day, as your pastor, I want something for you. I want you to surrender every arena of your life, including this one of finances, to Jesus. So that you have the freedom, financially, to obey God. See, I know that this is true, at least of some of you right now, that God has given you an incredibly generous heart. And that your generosity, that when you think of generosity, you think of how you can be generous to kids and to hospitals and to organizations. That there is so much generosity in your heart, but that you are not able to be generous because financially the decisions that you've made does not allow you to be generous. That I want you to be obedient to God in your time that I want you to have the ability to go on vacation and, and to have some peace and to rest. I want you to be able to go on a mission trip. I want you to be able to go where God is calling you to go. And yet for so many of us as Americans that we live in such a way because of the financial decisions that we make, not all of us, but so many of us live in such a way that we're not actually free to go where God is calling us to go because of the decisions that we've made financially. And we can look out at the economy and say, right now the economy's tough, and it is. But the habits, you and I both know, the habits that we're living on now were developed years and years and years ago. And we just reap the consequences of that. That we want to be faithful to God. That for you, I want you to be financially free. Not so that you can be free to do whatever you want, but that you can be free to obey what God calls you to do. So as we wrap all of this up, Maybe today you realize that you are the rich guy that Jesus is talking to. And that through this today that you've revealed, that God has revealed something about your hearts. And before you use a choice, and the choice is, is who are you going to surrender to? Like, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to submit to in this life? Where really is your treasure? And maybe that very question is causing you to wake up and to realize that the God that you serve isn't the God who actually created you. It's not the God who loves you. It's not the God who came into this earth to live a perfect life and ultimately to die on the cross for you. Your stuff, your money, your possessions, they can never do that for you. And so if you wanna have a conversation about what it means to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, if you wanna have a conversation of of what it looks like to inherit eternal life, we would just simply ask that you take out your smartphone, your cell phone, and shoot a text to us with the word Jesus to this number 720-513-1933. Will you pray with me? Father, whenever it comes to issues of money, uh, Lord, it is difficult. It's difficult to talk about. It's difficult to be vulnerable about. And And Lord, in large part, the difficulty of that comes because of the decisions that we've made and the places that we've got ourselves into. And Lord, ultimately, those decisions have have caused us not to be able to to walk with you, maybe the way that you're calling us to. And so Lord, today I pray that, that we would not end up being like the rich young ruler. Lord, that we would not stand before you with the choice before us and walk away in sorrow because we have stuff. But Lord, instead, we would see you and know that our ultimate treasure is with you. And so Father, I pray that you would help us get there. And as we pay attention to our finances this week, Lord, that you would reveal some things about our heart, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, but that we would know where our heart is by simply looking at where our stuff goes. And Lord, that through that, that you would change us, that you would move in us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Well, as we gather together around communion today, we're reminded of when Jesus was sitting with his disciples and he took the bread of the Passover. And as he broke the bread in light of this teaching, we realize that what Jesus did on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, our money, our stuff, it could never do. That Jesus went to the cross where his body was broken and his blood was spilt to pay and to forgive our sins. And so today, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made by eating the bread together. And we remember that the juice the cup, it represents Jesus' blood that this is the forgiveness of our sins. As we begin this new year, if you're here and you're in need of prayer, we'd encourage you to seek that out. You can just make your way over to the banner. we we'll love people to pray for you. Online, you can click the button. But we're gonna sing to the God that we treasure today. And I'm gonna ask you to stand as we lift our voices.